Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, we want to welcome the new listeners from New Zealand and Australia. You know, after your conversation with Cole from the Alcon S2 podcast. Yeah, it, I mean, it was such a fun episode to record. I know most yeah. people, you know, after seeing the numbers, I'm pretty sure uh, everyone listening right now has already heard it. Um, but mm-hmm. Cole and I have very similar experiences in the in the military as well as working intelligence in the government um so basically it was like talking to myself which you which is of all your people favorite know. thing yeah. favorite thing in the whole- <laughs> i love it i love talking to myself love talking to yourself about yourself <laughs> i think that's Sorry. why no one notes no one understands my politics because i'm always debating myself <laughs> so i go on both sides well i can confirm that's true yep and it is good that's why i love having tiana here so i have a co-host that validates all the things i say about myself whether they're good Mm -hmm. or bad (laughs) now i also i do have a clip of the episode should i play it yeah absolutely all right here we go you know that was the first sign for me that the military probably wasn't aligned to family life um at least the family life that i wanted um and the thing about that situation is I actually had the choice of whether or not to go back to the Middle East um, after returning to New Zealand but because um, you know just the sense of commitment that the military you know expects from you um, and all those other kind of expectations I I chose to go back um, and like looking back at it now it is a bit of a regret but at the same time I still have that sense of you know completion. Well Sounds like he had to choose between family and military life. That feels very familiar. <laughs> yeah, uh, and definitely. And if you haven't listened to the episode yet, please go ahead, check it out. Um, He'll link it in the show notes. It will, yeah, it'll be in the show notes. Um, he's got a lot of insight, more so than I do, yeah. for sure, into China and the Indo-Pacific region. Um, and if you want to yeah. stay current on that kind of stuff, please go over to his Instagram account, which is at alcon.s2 it's it that's all he does is update indo-pacific activity maybe you should spell out the instagram handle just so you know great point thank you be clear Um, yeah spell it out so it's at a l c o n dot s2 there you go all right thank you what is on your radar for this week Oh, right. So Russia, Ukraine, as always, we'll start of with course. that. Yeah. Um, we've got nuclear saber rattling going oh, on. Oh, yay. Um, okay. Russian hackers made a mess of various U.S. government websites. Including Mississippi, so I'm not very surprised. Yeah, not surprised about that one. But um, <laughs> we have North Korea coming in hot this week. Lots of stuff going on in North Korea. Yeah. We'll talk Chinese hackers that are ramping up various cyber attacks on various countries, including the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week's History's Mysteries, we will discuss the creator of MI6, which is the British um, Secret Service. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, what is the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? So uh, this week, Russian President Vladimir Putin officially annexed the four regions of East Ukraine that mm-hmm. um, those guys voted last month. And what the U.S. called a sham referendum. Um, 
After that, he also claimed the uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power station is under full Russian control. Um, the the big deal with that is that is that's Europe's largest um, nuclear power plant, and he is going to try to use that as a bargaining piece against Europe. Um, so those countries like Germany and France could be in for a very harsh winter with the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage and the Zaporizhia yeah. power station, which is now at the hands of Russia. Okay, you you didn't say this was a topic, but you promised an update to the Nord Stream sabotage. Do mm-hmm. you have anything there? Um, I do, but I can't discuss it right now. Um, well, F you, buddy. I know, I, I know. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to say that it is, to me, looking more and more likely that this was uh, sabotaged by Russia. Hmm. Um, I do know that the U.S. helped in repairing the pipeline and restoring the flow of oil, um, but that's all that I can discuss this week. I do okay. hope to be able to outline the whole situation um, either next week or at some point this month once I verify that I can release a few things. Don't worry. I'll keep on you about it. I'll keep You're asking. Good. <laughs> I'll keep asking. <laughs> all right. Um, and like, you know, I always tell you, I hope you do keep asking because that's what keeps these conversations going on. Um, I know some of our audience loves that part of it where you stop me from rambling about all kinds of sometimes incoherent things and you force me to make sense of information that I'm trying to put out there. I feel like I'm the incoherent one. Mm. You know, I don't have any background in any of this stuff <laughs> and I'm just interjecting things just based Which- on what I've seen you go through. And, and so that, I think, is what, when I get reactions from people in the audience, it is that that is their favorite part, because you oh. actually bring sense to it. Because um, I know a lot of I mean, our listeners... Most, yeah, most people who listen, they don't have any intel background like I do. I mean, exactly. don't. Like, I don't... Oh, my goodness. I need more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> that that sentence was gibberish. Sorry about that. But it... that. It is the truth. I'm not just saying that kind of stuff. I get um, comments all the time saying that they, it's really, and I appreciate it because I don't know how to make sense of some of this stuff. And sometimes you're rambling like right now because I want to get to the next part. Let's, we don't need to keep talking about ourselves. (laughs) Uh, Okay, thank you. Well, the, the other thing that has been going on that I think needs clarification is the nuclear situation in Europe right now. You were in the office this week doing a lot of typing for journalists, explaining what Russia is doing with all the nuclear talk. So please explain how we are not at the end of human civilization, please. I like the double please there. Um, yeah, but extra please. Please. It is It is interesting that you bring that up, the whole end of human civilization, um, because actually in my responses to those journalists, I did make it clear we are not on the cusp of nuclear annihilation. Um, and, and it's because of the types of weapons Russia is talking about using. That is from their tactical nuclear arsenal, right? Uh, correct. And some analysts also call them low-yield nuclear weapons, which just means that the damage can be limited. Baby uh, now, nuclear weapons. What's that? Baby, baby nuclear weapons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tiny, you know. Yeah. That's, that's a good term for them. Let's downplay this and, a little bit. Just just a little bit. I don't want to get everybody up in arms and, and scared or, or anything like yeah. that because we're not yeah. at that point just yet. Um, well, and that's tactical, good to hear. Right. Uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do here because there's a lot of articles 
coming out this yeah. week that fear mongering fear mongering definitely you know they want you to click on them you know yes that's how, they, that's how they get their monies and then and they don't go to explain you know what what tactical means and, and it means just that that weapons that can be used on tactical military equipment or sites okay well do you have an analysis on the potential death toll if those weapons were to be used all right so this is all going to be predicated on where um, the nuclear missiles are used. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's going to be in Ukraine. And if it is in a city like Kiev or um, or even, you know, within the cities of uh, Kharkiv and Kherson or Donetsk, you know, we're talking mass casualty events on par with the bombings uh, on Japan during World War II. Yeah. Now that is only if Putin decides he doesn't care about the potential repercussions of using nuclear weapons. Um so one civilian death in a nuclear strike will have all of the international community first scared and secondly, ready to retaliate against Russia militarily. Yeah. And this is especially true for the Baltic nations that are within range of some of Russia's nuclear arsenal. Um, so if used, and I'm going to quote, I'm going to use it in quotes, if used correctly, correctly is it's for lack of a better term, because I don't think any of it should be used at all. Yeah. I don't know a, a good a better term for that, um, but if it is used correctly, it would be devastating to Ukraine's military. Um, but the death toll would be minimal and, and concentrated outside of civilian populations. So um, let, let's talk about if it's directed at the civilian population of a large city. So you're looking at tens of thousands of deaths, um, depending on the size of munitions used. Now the U.S. used a 15 kiloton um, munition that killed mm-hmm. roughly 70,000 civilians in Hiroshima. So we're looking about that sort of death toll. Um, but if used militarily, or as they're supposed to be tactically, you'd probably see hundreds of military lives lost and just devastation in, in a military aspect. Okay, well, that's a lot to take in, and I don't think it is prudent to talk any further about this, And yet, unless you have information that puts you at ease and could put everyone else at ease, too. All right, so first, I'm going to put our U.S.-based audience at ease first, because mm-hmm. I'm seeing no threat right now of Russia using nuclear weapons on the U.S. Um, I've also spoken in the past about the lack of a defense system to protect against the hypersonic missiles. Mm-hmm. Now, it looks as if the U.S. is getting in the business of finding a defense for those high-speed projectiles. That's good news. Okay. Now, as for Western Europe, I still believe it is highly unlikely Putin authorized the use of nuclear weapons on any NATO country right now. Yeah. Um, Now, for anyone in Ukraine listening, I can't say for sure one way or the other. I'm going to say this. Have Have a plan in place. You know, listen to what security officials are saying and understand if these weapons are used, time will be of the essence. So it's not a moment to scare anybody. I just think we can't bury our head, our heads in the sand. Yeah. It's always best to have a plan in place and pray you never have to use it. Okay. So like I said, let's move on from this topic for right now until we get more information. What information do you have on the recent hacking by Russian backed hackers? Ooh, All right, that was so, redundant. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, you, I think you're going to hear a lot of that. O- Is this there. a hack? 
is this is that? This a, sorry, that's an inside joke. <laughs> That'll be the cover art. That meme. <laughs> is this a hack? <laughs> um, but Russian-speaking hackers this week did claim responsibility for knocking offline uh, several state government websites. Those would be in Colorado, Kentucky, uh, Mississippi, or various other states in the U.S. that were affected. And what were they trying to achieve? So it appears they were in retaliation for the U.S. helping or continuing to help Ukraine. So they took Mississippi offline? That's mm. like, that's a blessing. Can, all right. I won't say I'm anything just, bad about Mississippi. I know. I'm just kidding. I like Mississippi too, but it was No just love funny. lost between Louisiana and Mississippi. Well, any anything along the coast, like we feel like we are better than everyone. You That's, know, every every southern, like deep south state, they think they're better than the other ones. One hundred percent. They have state pride, and I'm just kidding because I don't actually have that much state pride. But, you know. <laughs> now there were um there were some rumblings that the hackers were looking to disrupt the midterm elections in November. They're early though. It's a little bit early, and yeah. it is. It is a huge concern. And yeah. I do want to say, make no mistake, Russia will be trying very hard to disrupt the elections. Of course. They have been doing this for years. Um, but the states that were hacked weren't necessarily what I what we in the U.S. would call battleground states. Um, I mean, we all know how Kentucky and Hawaii are going to vote. There's, yeah. There's no need to change those. But... Um, what this could be is a bit of intelligence gathering for a more targeted attack on states like Pennsylvania and Georgia, which could swing the elections in a way Russia desires. And what does Russia desire in those states? So most analysts believe that they want candidates who question, um, for good reason in some cases, the amount of money being spent to help Ukraine while the U.S. is headed or maybe in a recession right now. Um, but... I think what they really desire is just extreme chaos. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going to be looking for like the candidates who are winning and, and what affiliation they have. I'm going to be play, pay, or paying close attention to the polling sites that may be hit by hackers, which could cause votes to change or go missing, mm -hmm. and, and looking for anything that makes people question the, the validity of the election. Well, that sounds... Vaguely familiar. Yeah. And <laughs> Russia's been doing this for many years. Yeah. Um, so is China, Iran, North Korea, and the list goes on uh, of all the various foreign and countries. And you know, we, we stick our grubby little fingers in other countries' elections as well. It's not Thank you. like we don't. Yeah. <laughs> we, we do the same thing. We, we do the same thing. Try to prop up our own um, pro-U.S. or pro-governments. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Well. Um, and. We're going to keep an eye on it. So the, the midterm elections in the U.S., if anyone doesn't know, they will conclude Tuesday, November 8th. So we are a month away. Okay. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Definitely something to keep an eye on. Let's move on to the Indo-Pacific and talk about what North Korea has been up to this week. They've been busy. It seems <laughs> like... Very busy. The, the government and the military of that country have been ramping things up. Yep, and um, and it appears that they're making a statement that mm -hmm. tough talk and reactionary missile launches from the U.S. and South Korea will not deter them from continuing their development of nuclear weapons. Didn't they send jets to its border with South Korea? 
They certainly did. They actually flew 12 warplanes near 12? its border. Uh, they have 12 warplanes? They have 12. It might have been all of them. No, I don't know. I, I honestly couldn't tell you right now the, uh, the makeup planes? of their... Yeah, of course, um, of course. But that prompted South Korea to scramble 30 of their own jets in response. Mm. Now, this highly, highly unusual incident came hours after North Korea fired two ballistic missiles into... Um, into the Sea of Japan um, mm-hmm. in its sixth round of missile tests in less than two weeks. Those missiles actually flew over Japanese airspace, causing security alerts to be sent to the people of Japan. Oh, wow. So that's a scary moment for all involved. Um, and it is my opinion and my analysis that tough talk towards North Korea or added sanctions is not going to do anything to stop the development of a nuclear arsenal in that country. They have a very clear you know, idea and they're going for it. They have, they want, yep. they want those weapons. And they, they're using what's going on in Russia, Ukraine and in China, Taiwan to try to um, advance right. their arsenal without any repercussions. Yeah. I mean, right now everybody's focused on Russia and Ukraine. They're not yep. fully paying attention to what's going on in North Korea. So North Korea is kind of getting brazen. <laughs> They are very much so. I, I was very surprised by this. Well, <clears throat> let's move to China and discuss what is going on with the increase in Chinese hacking attempts. All right. So um, so the story here is that Chinese state-sponsored hackers are ramping up its attacks on U.S. and Canadian-based companies in an attempt to disrupt supply chains. Now, I'm sure everyone listening is aware that supply chain issues would cause price hikes on various goods being imported Mm. into the affected countries. And this is at a time where inflation is soaring. And as I said earlier, a recession is either already here or at the very least um, a few months away. Mm -hmm. And that depends on the definition you want to use for a recession. Well, let's not get into definitions. And let's just talk about the ultimate goal of these hackers. All right. And that's a very interesting question because supply chain issues is not the end state for these hackers or Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese Communist Party. As we discuss on a weekly basis, the end goal for China is to be the next global superpower. In order to do that, they have to knock off the current superpower. That is the United States. How are we still a superpower? Well... It's because of economies, and oh. um, and the easiest way to take down a superpower mm-hmm. is to attack or take down its economy. So yeah. that's the goal for China. Okay, it wants to completely collapse the U.S. economy. Then I have this question for you: China owns a lot of U.S. debt. Couldn't they just sell off all the debt and completely destroy the U.S. economy? Is that a threat? So. Yeah, there is a very real threat that China would sell all its holdings of U.S. debt, and that would in turn collapse the markets within the United States. Mm -hmm. However, because of the way the market works, um, selling all of its holdings would um, be really difficult for China and expensive if they try to do it all at once. Okay. Also, you know, the U.S. is $30 trillion in debt. Oh, my gosh. Most of that is held by U.S.-based companies. Oh, Okay. And China holds only about 3% of that debt. Oh, okay. So a sell-off could potentially hurt the Chinese economy at a time when all global economies are struggling struggling off the heels of the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, well, I just 
wanted to make sure I understand this. China would cause more harm to its own economy due to the way the markets work. So there are kind of fail-safes in place to prevent a total collapse of either economy. You do understand that correctly. That is correct. Um, okay. But don't get me wrong. It would be devastating. But if China were to do that, the U.S., they would just go somewhere else to find a buyer for its debt. That's so um, weird. Yeah, we won't go too much into the inner workings of the financial markets. For one, I'm not an, ec an economics expert. I can barely yeah. say the word economics, apparently. Yeah, we, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Two, it, was, it would take hours to discuss just this topic alone. Well, then, with that said, is it time for History's Mysteries? Oh, what did you, did you just hear do? That? Yeah, yeah, I, I punched did. the microphone. Well, good. Show that the, microphone who's boss. Well, no, that was how, that's how excited I am for History's Mysteries this week. Oh, right, right. Because we're back to the great histories of, of intelligence and espionage. And this week, we will discuss the man that essentially created and led MI6, which is the British equivalent to the CIA, but MI6, or the Secret Intelligence Service, which is the official name, it was created in the early 1900s, so it predates the CIA. But we're also a U.S.-based podcast, so I'm just going to stick with that. <laughs> so actually, the CIA is... Right. You know, copying MI6, kind of. Exactly. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you ready? You ready to, to find out about him? Yeah, who was that? I just totally spaced out. <laughs> who was that man who created the MI6 organization? Well, that was the very British... Name of Sir Mansfield George Smith Cumming. Oh. And he was a British naval officer and also the great-great-grandson of John Smith, who was director of the East India Company in the 1800s. Hmm. Now, no one knows what the East India Company was. At its peak, it was the largest corporation in the world. Um, and so that was his great-great-grandfather, who was a director of that. So he comes from money. Now, Smith Cumming actually joined the Royal Navy at 12 years old. <laughs> That's where he started training at the Royal Navy Academy, known as Dartmouth. Um, the only problem with his naval service is that he suffered from debilitating seasickness. Mm. So in 1885, he was placed on the retired list as unfit for service. Now, by uh, 1911, the various security organizations in the UK were reorganized and Smith became the director of the foreign section responsible for all operations outside Britain. And this would become MI6. Any little interesting tidbits about his time as the director? Oh, I think I've got a pretty good historical fact for everyone. Oh. So Mr. Smith Cumming was director when the agency discovered that semen made mm -hmm. for a viable invisible ink. Oh, wow. That led to his... His last name. Yeah, that's not even... Sorry. Are we just... Oh, we should either just brush over that or we can get right into how that okay, is... Okay, sorry, sorry. Finish, finish what you're going to say. I'm going to stop being an immature okay. little kid for a second. But it, the motto for his section was every man his own stylo. <laughs> Which is Sorry. so great. Now, as anyone listening who is who's doing deep thought about this could probably understand, it 
quickly stopped being used. Yeah. Because the smell it created defeated the whole purpose of Invisible Ink. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) There is a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to be mature and say we we should move on. Is there anything else (laughs) besides that? Did he have any successes? I mean, that's a, that's a, never mind. No, um, yeah, watch it, bud. At the, so he did. At the start of World War I, um, he was able to identify and arrest 22 German spies in Eng- that were in England. Oh, wow. That um, is pretty 11, cool. 11 of them were executed, mm-hmm. um, as was Sir Roger Casement, who was an Irish nationalist that was found guilty of treason after his crimes of espionage against Britain were discovered during his work in Germany. Oh, wow. That's a pretty big win for British intelligence. It definitely was. And um, he was also the basis for the fictional head of the SIS in the original James Bond novels by Ian Fleming, who we've discussed quite a few times. So he is is a very, very important figure in British intelligence. It certainly seems that way. Is there anything else for this week? After that, I think we are out of time this week. As always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please feel free to add our Instagram account at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you Mm -hmm. so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.